You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. So Zechariah's ministry began about two months after Haggai began his ministry. So they were there together at the same time. Both Haggai and Zechariah were prophesying to the Jews who uh, returned after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Uh, In the first year of his reign, Cyrus, the ruler of Persia, made a decree that the Jews can go back to Jerusalem. And you would think, that's awesome, right? They would love to go back. Well, we'll see about that in just a minute. But Haggai and Zechariah were two peas in a pod. They had the same ministry, but very different styles. And if you think about it, we all can minister for God. We all can can do the things that God wants us to, but we all have very different styles, don't we? Even up here, Brittany has her way, Susanna has her way, Perla has hers, and I have mine, and we're just different. But Haggai was kind of in your face to start. He was, he was kind of, you know, right there. And then, as Susanna showed us last week, uh, there was a lot of good that came out of it in the end. So Zechariah was more like a pat on the back. He had his kind of like head in the clouds. He, had, he saw visions, which is pretty awesome. And uh, we'll get to a couple of those in a bit. But Zechariah is longer. It's 14 books, and it's more poetic. It's a little bit of a tough read, but it's good. And uh, the time frame of Zechariah was, fits very nicely into the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. Nehemiah chapter 12 writes about Zechariah coming to Jerusalem. And Ezra chapters 5 and 6 talk about the ministry he had in encouraging the people to rebuild the temple. And the book has a sweeping scope. I mean, it's a large scope. From the temple being in ruins all the way through the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming, which hasn't happened yet, we know. But it's, a, it's got a large scope. There are many quotes in the Old Testament from the books of Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah. And that makes a lot of sense because they're long books. They have many chapters And the subject material in there, there's just so much in those books that it's no wonder they're quoted a lot. But did you know that the book of Zechariah, which is only 14 chapters, that it's been quoted almost 40 times in the New Testament? Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Almost 40 times because it is so obviously messianic. I mean, he's got the visions and everything, but then we get into the comings of Christ and very messianic. So there are about 30 different Zechariahs in the Bible. Um, so if you get him confused with another one, that's understandable. He, um, he's the most notable one, though. He, is, uh, he was born into a priestly family, and he was actually born in the captivity of Babylon and then came to Jerusalem, which, if you think about it, is the opposite of the prophet Daniel, who was born in Jerusalem and then was carried off to Babylon and the captivity. The emphasis of this book is that God is with the remnant of community who have returned from exile. He will will prosper their leaders 
And the future of Judah and Jerusalem is bright and it's full of peace and glory. Israel's king will come back to Jerusalem in triumph, and yet he will be slain for the sins of the people. God will punish his people's enemies, yet many of the nations will come to know the Lord. And the book of Zechariah begins with chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, as a call to repentance. And we heard about repentance last week, and we heard about it a lot in the Minor Prophets. It's very important. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, New King James Version. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So God's extending an opportunity. Come back to me. Do not live like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not heed nor hear me, says the Lord. So he's telling them, don't be like them. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts determined to do unto us, this is the fathers, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. The fathers didn't repent, but he's calling the people who are there now to repent. And to repent just means to, to change your thinking, change your, change your heart, right? From, from the way that we have been to the way that God sees us, the way that God wants us to be. The people had not yet committed themselves to the building of the temple, and God wanted them to know that he is for them, and he had good things coming for them. He's a good God. So repentance, though, is a part of restorative justice. The changing of the mind and the changing of the heart is the opening of the door to let God in, to let the Holy Spirit in, to restore things in us, to reestablish us. Next begins the first of eight night visions <clears throat> Excuse me, that Zechariah had. I'm not going to read all the visions. We'll be here forever. And they're a little difficult to understand, too. Believe me, I needed help. Uh, but vision one starts in verse number seven of chapter one uh, with a man sitting on the horse in the midst of the myrtle trees. Behind him are other horses and the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is hearing the nations of the world are resting quietly but Jerusalem is not. So the angel of the Lord asks, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against you who you were angry for these 70 years? And the Lord answered him with good and comforting words in verses 15 through 17. But I am very angry with the nations who are at ease and feel secure. For while I was only a little angry, 
They furthered the disaster against the people of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy and compassion. Mercy and compassion. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Proclaim again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord shall again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. So he's talking about restoring Jerusalem, restoring the people. Even in the visions, there's restorative justice. Vision two, there are four horns and four craftsmen. The horns were the nations that scattered Judah and Jerusalem and Israel. The craftsmen were being sent to frighten them and throw down those nations that had scattered them. So God's sending somebody to rescue them. The horns are nations that at one time had Israel under their thumb. They were, they were in control. They dominated Israel and Judah. The four craftsmen are the ones that break those horns down. They overpowered them. And the best guess of who those four nations are would be the four nations seen in the book of Daniel, the image Nebuchadnezzar had of gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. All four ended up falling while Israel still stands today. Amazing, isn't it? God restored Israel. Here's an interesting note. Jerusalem, 3,000 years ago, had a population of about 2,000 people. And the whole city around was about two and a half miles. I got this from a website called nehemiahlv.org. And today the population of Jerusalem is estimated at about 1,144,000 people. I saw that on worldpopulationreview.com. So over a million people with a, with a size of almost 49 square miles. From two and a half miles to 49 square miles. God prospered Israel just like he said. It's awesome. <clears throat> Vision 4, all of chapter 3, it's just about clean garments for the high priest. His name was Joshua. Uh, since the rebuilding of the temple is coming, and that's where God dwells, in the temple, right? In the Old Testament, uh, there had to be a cleansing and recommissioning of the high priest. And in verse 8, it mentions somebody called the branch. And we'll find out that the branch is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Verse 8 it says, now listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your colleagues who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are a symbol of what is to come. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch, in messianic glory. Jesus. And then last part of verse 9 and all verse 10 says, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, Everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Always talking about restoration. That's what God is all about. Vision 5 talks about a lampstand and an olive tree. And this is many, many years ago. And yet 
It was an automated lampstand. People didn't have to keep bringing oil to it. That, that's, a, that's a fun read, chapter 4. Uh, if you get a chance, read it. But verse 6 is a famous verse. That's why I'm going to bring it out now. And it is, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And do you know that's exactly the same way that God gets things done today? By his spirit. His spirit working through us to restore not only ourselves, but to restore other people. To see other people get to know the Lord. To see other people be at peace. Not going to mention visions 6 and 7. <clears throat> Vision 8. I'm just going to mention that Vision 8 talks again um, about, about the, re, uh, the branch restoring. So what I'm going to go to now is chapter 9. Verses 9, 1 through eleven seventeen, which I'm not going to read all those. Uh, it's about the coming king and the glorious future for the God's people. So I'll read the first couple of verses. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And if you remember, that's how Jesus rode into Jerusalem just before the crucifixion, a week before. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Talking about Jesus. <clears throat> there were two verses there, 9-1 and 9-2. And in those two verses, it's talking about both the first and second comings of Jesus. So there's a gap of about 2,000 plus years in between the two verses. People who were alive when this was written, and actually the people who proclaimed it, didn't understand that. They thought it was all one. And that's probably why when Jesus was alive, and they saw him as the king, as the Messiah, they thought that everything was going to be restored right then, that he was going to rescue them from their oppressors, the Romans. But of course, that didn't happen then. In Isaiah verses one through, 61, verses 1 through 2, <coughs> excuse me, also contains two comings of Jesus. And Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 4, verse 19, and I'm going to read 18 and 19, he read from a book in the temple. He opened the book, and he read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, if that's not restorative justice, I don't know what is. Man, that is awesome. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Then he closed the book. And he said, today, 
That scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, at Jesus' first coming, he came to set people free, to restore us and reestablish us, to give us not only eternal life, but a more abundant life here on earth. I mean, he just, he just came to bless us. Or as you would say today, probably he came to bless our socks off. <clears throat> Jesus didn't quote the last part of Isaiah 61, verse 2, which says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, because that didn't happen yet. That's going to happen at his second coming. When he comes back, there'll be no mistaking that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. That'll be it. He'll come and he will be our king. How awesome is that going to be? Just be happy I'm not the king. So I felt moved to stop here as far as the visions and all that. Uh, because we read about the two comings of Jesus Christ. And I thought now we should concentrate more on uh, restorative justice. And there's really two kinds of justice that, um, that we might think of. Restorative, which is good, and retributive justice, which is like retribution. Not good. Jesus prioritized mercy and love over the strict obedience of the law. Restoring people was his focus and not balancing accounts like a scale. His justice was restorative in nature and not retributive such as an eye for an eye. This restorative justice made many religious people angry because they wanted retributive justice. They wanted people to suffer. They wanted people to, they just wanted them to come down and like you see in the old cartoons where he's up there with a lightning bolt in his hand. Just, all right, come on, make my day, right? But that's not the, that's not the way that, that he was. They put the law above love, but Jesus didn't. And once again and again, Jesus forgave people. I mean, he forgave him, he healed him. The paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2, Jesus healed him. No, he didn't have to do anything. Jesus healed him. The woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, who Jesus did not condemn. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and collected not only tax money for the Romans, but he also extracted as much as he felt like from his own people. But Jesus saved him. And the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with the expensive ointment in Luke chapter 7, he forgave her. By forgiving them, he restored and he transformed them. And that's what we're all about here. Restoration, transformation. That's what Jesus is about. So that's what we're about. Jesus forgave them without needing a sacrifice and without any punishment. You might say there was a new sheriff in town and he gave out justice 
with mercy and love instead of punishment. Restorative justice, not retributive justice. Think about it. The paralyzed man was healed. The woman caught in adultery was forgiven. Zacchaeus was welcomed into God's family. And the Bible says right there that Jesus said, Today, salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the sinful woman who anointed his feet with ointment was forgiven. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Many. He didn't mention what they were, and I'm not sure I'd like to know what they were. But there were many. Restorative justice. It's God's kindness to us. How many people have received God's restorative justice in one way or another? I have. That's for sure. Yeah. Many people. So first, he showed me that I was a sinner. And who likes to be, who likes to see that they're a sinner? Nobody. But he showed me, and he showed me how someone like me, who had done many sins, terrible things that I won't mention, how I could receive love and mercy from the same God who I sinned against. What an awesome God is that. So he saved me in spite of who I had been. And I'll be with him in heaven the very instant that this body is dead. And I am eternally grateful. Second, he transformed me from whom I once was to someone who now doesn't want to sin, hates to sin, and desires to follow Jesus in whatever way he has. Third, I only really experienced depression twice, I think. It uh, didn't last very long because God is so good. I trusted him through it. And yeah, it wasn't fun, but it took a lot less time than it does for a lot of other people because of Jesus. And fourth, about 11 years ago, I spent time either in a doctor's office or in a chiropractor's office every, every month, every single month, probably 14 to 16 times a year overall, maybe more. My wife can attest to that. She knows that. She said, why are you always going to the doctor? That's the way it was then. This year I've had some physical issues, but it's mostly due to black mold in my basement and eating something that didn't agree with me. That's a whole lot better. (laughs) Um, So God is awesome. I mean, God brings hope. What a God. What a blessing. He brings restoration. He brings redemption. God brings freedom. God brings strength and joy and peace and good. And you see the picture up here? This, to me, looks like the bird up there is the Holy Spirit. And these two people are receiving restorative justice. They look pretty happy. Look at them with their arms up in the air like that, their hands up. They look great. Now, whether these two people are just people who, who were offered salvation by Jesus, that's possible. He offers it to everyone. And if you receive it, 
You'll be rejoicing. Maybe these people are a couple of friends and their friendship has been restored. Maybe their marriage has been restored. Maybe it's two people. Whatever it is, though, certainly looks like they've received restorative justice. And it's here for you. It's here for me. It's here for all of us today. Now we're going to move into ministry time, which is time where we respond to what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. Whatever he's saying to us this morning, it's time to respond to him. He's always good, always. So I'd ask everyone to stand where you are, if you can, and bow your heads out of respect for everyone else. <clears throat> Excuse me. Close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that. Um, don't have to. But we'll now invite the Holy Spirit to come into ministry time. Come, Holy Spirit. We'll just wait on him for a minute. Yes, Lord. You can put your hands out in a posture of receiving. Don't have to. However, you're comfortable. God's justice is to restore people to the place they should have been all along. But for one reason or another, they're in a different place. And we've all been in the different places. Whatever the reason may be that you're not in the place you should be in, it's sin fear or sickness or pain, depression, jealousy, unforgiveness, the list goes on and on, could be anything. Jesus is ready, willing, and able to show you his restorative justice through his love, mercy, and forgiveness today. He can make you a member of his family today like he did for Zacchaeus. He can forgive you sins that you committed like he did for the sinful woman. He can heal you today just like he healed the paralyzed man. If there's any way you need restoration today, anyway, the prayer team is ready to pray with you about anything I mentioned and anything I didn't. You can either come forward if you like and they'll meet you here. Or if you like, you can just raise your hand and slip up your hand and somebody from the prayer team will come and pray with you right where you are. Or if it's something of a, something of a more private manner, then they can take you to somewhere and you can pray together in private. But the Holy Spirit is working this morning. Moving in people's hearts this morning. Let him do it. If you feel moved about something, he's the one moving you. Don't resist him. He loves you like crazy. And he wants you to receive God's restorative justice right now. So we're just going to ask for more of you, Lord. More and more and more, Lord. 
coming, Holy Spirit. More.